to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Short week this week. Just going to have an episode here today and then one on Wednesday, taking Friday off for rather obvious reasons, and um, then I'll be back the following Monday. In the meantime, in this particular episode, I've got some audio that I want to play from a few different places and uh, just a couple of quick stories that I want to cover here. First of all, one of the interesting parts about all of this jab news, of course, and, and sort of the, the, uh, oh, the coming tsunami or the ongoing tsunami that's occurring is it's always interesting to consistently watch people's lack of understanding with basic facts and how the synapses just aren't firing with individuals, in particular when it comes to very basic knowledge of occurrences. They just aren't seeing any trends and they aren't connecting any dots whatsoever. So one quick example is the following. As you know, I live in Oxford, Ohio, where Miami University is located. So I have direct knowledge of what the actual university is doing on a variety of issues. And then, of course, you can take a guess as to probably some of the things that they're hiding and keeping a secret. Unfortunately, one of the one of the things that they've recently published or publicized is the rapid increase in flu cases at Miami University, and they just can't seem to figure out why. Can't seem to figure out why why uh, you know why all of the uh, jabbed students are starting to become ill, even though they're still wearing masks and being told that even if you're double jabbed or triple jabbed, you still have to wear a mask. These um, these connections aren't being made. Again, the oxygen deprivation and all of it. It's just uh, they're, they're not connecting the dots. So, again, these coming months are going to get really, really ugly here regarding what's going on. They can not connect the dots all they want, but the eyeball test is abundantly clear. We know that these jabs are causing massive harm, massive reductions in one's immune system. And again, over the course of time, because it was this way in the animal trials where all of the animals died, as I've mentioned in the past and is known fact, in particular when reintroduced to any kind of a basic pathogen, cell disruption, whatever it may be, that the exact same thing, of course, is happening with humans both immediately and over the course of time. The reason that that is, of course, is because, as I've stated in the past, the life of an animal is different than the life of a human. That's why the years equate to, again, being around roughly 10 years of an individual still, uh, you know, if they were hit with the actual deadly juice itself, that a 10-year lifespan is what a person is looking at, and medical problems, of course, between their immediate introduction to that pathogen, which is the shot, all the way through the course of time here in the coming months and coming years. So with all of that said, and all of that sort of rambling out of the way, it's interesting, again, to see a university never in the past pay attention to flu cases and and have that information never be public or publicized whatsoever. And yet now it's publicized, and it doesn't look good for anybody making any medical decision whatsoever throughout this entire process. But again, they're not connecting the dots. And with that said, here's a little audio from uh, Dr. Killamall himself 
Anthony Fauci. And apparently, um, everybody should be getting boosters, according to him, every six months. So here's him saying that nonsense. We would hope, and, and, and this is something that we're looking at very carefully, that that third shot with the mRNA not only boosts you way up, but increases the durability so that you will not necessarily need it every six months or a year. We're hoping it pushes it out more. If it doesn't, and the data show we do need it more often, then we'll do it. What he's telling everybody, whether they're paying attention to his word usage or not, or the syntax or his intonation, whatever you want to call it, he's telling you that you are the experiment. He's telling you that the human population is the experiment. Well, if it doesn't work, then, you know, we just won't do it anymore. These were decisions that were supposed to be made during an actual human trial, which again is the main reason why any school in America, university, K-12 or otherwise, who is engaging in mask wearing, forced jabs, contact tracing, testing, temperature checking, you name it, they are engaging in an illegal human trial. That breaks endless federal laws that they cannot do. They just can't. You cannot have people engage in a medical trial without their knowledge, without IRB approval, and this is what is happening within this campus or within this district or within this university or what have you. That's exactly what's happening. That's what the contact tracing is all about. That's what the testing is all about. That's why your name is being taken and kept for the record, whether or whether or not you you have or don't have, I should say, a uh, a vaccination status, quote unquote, or whether or not you've taken the jabs. Every time that you enter a doctor's office and the doctor says, have you been jabbed or have you taken the vaccine and you say no, they record that. It's already recorded. So they consistently ask people again even if you enter a hospital they ask you have you have you been have you been vaccinated and they're asking you because they already know you haven't been because it's right in front of their face but they're asking you as to whether or not you have been since the last time they saw you this is the experiment that's why we are all the experiment here so with that said I'd also like to play this audio there's a 35 minute video it's excellent it's an excellent video and um, I will link it in the description below the best that I can. Because, again, it's about 35 minutes long, so I'll upload it and then link it in the description below. But I put about 15 minutes of this on my BitChute channel. Um, but the remainder of it is, in, is incredible as well. And it's Dr. Judy Mikovits talking to, um, I forget her first name, but her last name is Vandersteel. Uh, Steel Truth, I believe, is her show. And it's an, I mean, it's absolutely excellent. So I'm not going to play the entire 35 minutes long here, but I am going to play at least five minutes right now so that you can get a taste of what exactly she's saying. She breaks down exactly what this is, what is going on, and how countless people are being misled. She also clearly states, you should not be taking any of these shots under any circumstance. And if you take flu shots on top of these, you are going to make yourself seriously ill, if not dead. So she clearly states, Dr. Mikovits, do not take any more shots of any kind ever again. Don't do it. 
Again, in particular, flu shots, booster jabs, what have you. Because again, excuse me, false equivalency. You have Fauci over here saying on television and all the major news networks this. Get your booster, get your booster, get your flu shot, do it. And then you've got Dr. Mikovits over here saying the exact opposite. They can't both be right. Someone is wrong. I think you know who is right and who is wrong. So here's that audio, or at least a piece of it. Steel Truth this evening, we have got to get some clarity to the situation out here on this COVID. But before we uh, talk about antidotes, I just want to, again, hammer home the basic elements. COVID-19, what is it? Is it actually a real virus? Um, no, COVID-19, um, the, the disease is not caused by SARS-CoV-2. <laughs> the coronavirus. SARS-CoV-2 is not a real human virus. It's a monkey virus grown in the Vero monkey cell line, always has been just as SARS was created in, in that cell line and that the variants are in that cell line. So the disease, COVID, never satisfied any of Koch's postulates or Hill's criteria for a causative agent of a disease because in order to afford the virus SARS-CoV-2 to have caused COVID, everybody with evidence of infection has to have disease. And what we know is essentially nobody with evidence of infection by that fraudulent PCR test that is not testing for SARS-CoV-2 um, uh, is um, and, and PCR does not test for an infectious virus. Nobody's sick. This is a 99.97% survival rate. So there's no such thing as an asymptomatic carrier of a disease-causing virus. The virus either makes you sick or it doesn't. And what we know is this was this disease called COVID was caused by um, contaminated flu shots, um, which are all contaminated with coronaviruses, and they are every year. And that those viruses recombine. The test was testing for the influenza. So this at 4,000 people a day in January of 2020 were dying of influenza. And, um, and the CDC was labeling it, calling it COVID. We know that 5G and the, and the measures, the remdesivir, um, so it, that which is killing people by shutting down their kidneys, everything that's been done. The mass, the shots, the isolation have caused the death and destruction um, worldwide, not SARS-CoV-2. So essentially, COVID-19 is a marketing hype name to, to uh, just basically promote fear and get people running to the doctors to take these PCR tests, which, of course, are completely uh, falsely calibrated and they're not measuring COVID-19. Has COVID-19 ever been isolated in a lab then? SARS-CoV-2 has been isolated from Vero monkey kidney cells right. in a lab. It's grown. But in not in people. Not from people to people. Not from a person with disease and sending it to another. What they do in all the papers, and you can see it all the way back to SARS, is they isolate or they take a lung lavage, a spit or blood from the person, and they put it in Vero monkey kidney cells. That's not a human virus. Put it 
directly to human cells or show an electron micrograph of a viral particle with their little spike protein, their little cartoon, is all from viral monkey cells. It's a lab virus. All the variants are. There's sequences in a database, and they always have been since 2003 in SARS. One of the key lines there, of course, too, is what she said right there at the very end, that it's a number in a database. This is a computer-based virus. Is it, again, manufactured, as she said, in toxic shots? Yes. How many people got those toxic shots? Lots of people. Lots of people did. And as I've said in the past, and it's clearly provable, the business of transmission from a shot recipient to a non-shot recipient, again, is helped with 5G, but it certainly occurs as a result of basic transmission as a result of proximity. If an ill person is around unill people, some of those unill people might become ill. Many of them probably won't, which is again why we're seeing the particular rates of shedding which, of course, is never brought up by Anthony Fauci or anybody else, because heaven forbid, if that got out, all hell would break loose. You mean I can transmit this just by being around somebody? If I have the jabs and they don't? Yes. The answer is yes, because it's like that all the time with any flu shot. Take a person, again, who doesn't get a flu shot, such as myself, for example. Never get them. Never. Last one I got again was like 2006, 2007, sick as a dog. Last time I had any kind of illness that was that could be categorized as flu-like, I was on an airplane for two and a half hours from Florida to Ohio. 24 hours later, sick as a dog, period. Flu-like symptoms, shakes, fever, nausea, you name it. Couldn't move, body, full body aches, you name it, because I was on a plane around a bunch of other people who had taken the flu jabs. I mean, when you're overwhelmed that much by being around people who have poisoned themselves, yeah, you're going to get ill. It's inevitable. So that's why, again, K-12 environments are remarkably unhealthy and are only going to get worse with every passing day here throughout the winter months. And, of course, it's going to carry right into the spring months as well. Because everybody's doubling and tripling and quadrupling up on these jabs, and they're expecting what to happen. You cannot shoot yourself into good health. You cannot jab or inoculate yourself into good health. It does not work that way. Never has, never will. I also put this meme, and it's remarkably informative, uh, on my Gab account, and it's titled The Three Phases of COVID Vaccine Mortality. And it's a small little summary, but... It also emphasizes the importance of what myocarditis is. So at the bottom, it says COVID vaccines are known to cause myocarditis. We know this. It then says, with the reference source right at the bottom, myocarditis alone is fatal in 56% of patients in less than five years. Giant cell myocarditis causes over 80% mortality in five years. And the source is the ahajournals.org titled Circulation, quote-unquote, Journal of the American Heart Association, February 14, 2006, Volume 113, Issue 6. And they have a little chart here, a little imagery, uh, deaths increasing 
on one axis with time going by on the other. It says in the short term, 0 to 30 days, an individual can, uh, can experience after the COVID vaccine, blood clots, thrombosis, myocarditis, strokes, heart attacks, spontaneous abortions, pulmonary embolism, and anaphylactic shock. There are, of course, many others. And then it continues as time goes on. And again, as deaths increase, medium term, 1 to 12 months after receiving the shots. Vaccine-induced immunodeficiency, which again is HIV. Antibody-dependent enhancement, or ADE. Autoimmune reactions, prion-like neurological destruction and heart failure. And then the next category is long-term effects, one year to 10 years. Spike protein-induced chromosomal damage, cancers, severe immunodeficiency, fatal immune diso- autoimmune disorders, rather, suppressed DNA repair mechanism, NHEJ, and infertility and reproductive disorders. Again, this is not made-up stuff. This is not just random stuff tossed into a meme to make it look pretty or make it sound nice. It sounds horrific because it is horrific. These things have already happened. So, again, the information just continues to pour out. And as I mentioned, I think, in a previous episode, when I, when I previously spoke at a board meeting and I, and I referenced the New England Journal of Medicine statistic without saying the reference, but I mentioned the statistic of 80% of individuals who have taken the jabs can't have kids or that um, they were experiencing abortions within the first trimester. That number is worse. As it turns out, it's now upwards of 91%. You see, the more information they're gathering and the more individuals are getting jabbed, the the statistics in all of these categories increase. And again, it's it's awful to say the least, and that's putting it mildly. So with that said, I do want to shift gears here slightly, and I want to play this particular piece of audio, and it's a mashup of news, multiple news outlets, again, describing the entire phenomenon of Parents showing up at school board meetings and and active citizens showing up at school board meetings and the oversight that is actually taking place, which is exactly what's supposed to take place over school boards and uh, such situations in such environments. What you'll hear them say, of course, is that parents are dangerous for engaging in any kind of oversight that the sheer participation numbers increasing is quote-unquote dangerous, and how dare they get involved with what they would refer to as or love to refer to as government's children. That government, they believe, government believes, that government is the parent, and that they are responsible for the children, not the parents, and how dare the biological parents or anybody in the community actually show up and express serious concern and hold these parties accountable for uh, overstepping their bounds, and that's, again, putting it mildly. So give this a listen. Violent-looking, angry, spewing parents outside of these schools. Individuals intent on creating chaos for the sake of creating chaos. These actions could be the equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism. This becomes a security crisis, in a sense, for the nation. This may also mobilize even more law enforcement 
to be at these meetings. It is dangerous to our children when the parents themselves are the school bullies. I think one of the worst things is the actions at the board meetings. Uh, you know, the, the, the calling of names, you know, the, you know, tyrant, Marxist, communist. We've never seen anything like we're seeing at these school boards now. What on earth has happened in this country? Sometimes they're not even talking. They are yelling and creating chaos. Things have become so scary at these meetings. I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. New laws may be necessary. There's always the possibility uh, that people will face criminal prosecution for this kind of conduct. The FBI and federal law enforcement is tailor-made for that kind of national-level coordination with state and local police. The attorney general has can put out a letter, they will take actions they take. What does it mean that something that is generally boring and neutral, like a school board meeting, has become a locus for violence? You look at the rage, the anger, you think, what is this doing to the children in those homes and their mental health? We have a board of ed working with the local school boards to determine the curriculum for our schools. You don't want parents coming in in every different school jurisdiction. And they want to shut down our schools and, you know, move kids over to charter schools and private schools um, without the oversight of the state. And that's wrong. Without the oversight of the state. I love it. I love it. They just can't help themselves. (laughs) It's just too rich. It's too rich. They can't help themselves. They cannot help themselves from telling everybody that they think that they are the cat's pajamas, that they are in charge 24-7-365. How dare a parent show up and say we're breaking the law? That doesn't happen. How dare they? How dare they put their children in an educational environment that doesn't have government, state, government oversight? First of all, charter schools do have oversight. Private schools have oversight. Homeschooling, hey, what goes on in the home? You know, all restrictions off. You can watch whatever you want as long as it's educational, blah, 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 blah. And again, the same is true with these homeschools. If homeschools that are online are doing something that they shouldn't be doing, yeah, there's, there's some oversight because that exists through the accreditation process. And so, of course, parents can file complaints against the accreditor that allows them to exist, essentially, and then that can actually happen. But I just love how all of these talking heads on all of those left-wing news outlets, and it, you know, even if it was on Fox News, who cares, but most of it, again, was CNN and MSNBC and ABC and whatever, but they just can't help themselves. They can't help themselves, but actually not even restrain themselves from from looking at a parent and essentially saying, we know what's best for your child. We know what's best no matter what, including what they should and should not be learning. I mean, the absolute hubris and just gall of these people is astounding to me. And I mean, it shouldn't shock anybody at this point. It really doesn't shock me at all. Um, Yeah. They just, you know, they have too many laws that they have to follow, these, these school districts and these universities. There are, there are so many laws and so few lawyers that, they, that it's actually impossible for them to be following every single law. They just can't, which again is why we exist. And any citizen, again, can file complaints against anybody 
within these organizations, these school or university organizations. They don't have to be directly affiliated with them. They don't seem to understand that either. So not only, again, does government think that they're the parent, they think that the average citizen doesn't have oversight on them. Wrong again. And they're going to find these things out the hard way, and they are finding these things out the hard way. They just don't get it. Again, you would think that they would do whatever they could to read all of the laws and all of the regulations, but frankly, that would require multiple years of study, and they don't want to engage in that. They just assume that if their heart is in the right place and they believe things to be true, then they are doing things a particular way. And that, well, it's, it's not, uh, there's no illegality involved because we have nothing but the best for everybody at heart, and that's all we're thinking about. And sorry, that doesn't cut it. That just doesn't cut it. So I'm glad that parents are involved. I'm glad that they're showing up. I'm glad that they're doing what they're doing. And uh, yeah, if a school board just rules with an iron fist, then you use paperwork to destroy them. You use the law to destroy them. And that's working as well. So here's the next thing I want to play. And again, this shifts gears slightly, but of course it, it dives right into the ideology that exists with a number of educators, or I should say quote unquote educators within these settings. And the same is true with um, curriculum. But this one takes a real hard turn here regarding the gender dysphoria confusion that exists among uh, some individuals and how that is implanted in the brains of minors. Uh, basically, at the hands and the verbal taunts or verbal brainwashing of individuals who, again, work within these school buildings, whether they be quote-unquote teachers, administrators, or whatever. But this is one parent's perspective, and it's about 11 minutes long, and I definitely want to play the entire thing because it really is uh, its really sad. And I hope that you're listening to this. And you're going to say to yourself as you're listening to this, what is wrong with these? What is wrong with the parent who is actually telling this story? Because it's going to sound a lot like the mask wearing horrors that I've brought up, you know, from the website um, nomaskforkids.com. It's the exact it's the exact same wavelength. It, it makes an individual wonder then to themselves, wait a minute, you're sitting here and you're talking about your your gender confused child. And the school environment in which they were apparently becoming confused, it raises the question, what in the hell is going on inside of the home that's allowing your child to be confused? Are you, you're clearly not parenting. Again, all nice intentions for this particular parent for bringing this to the attention of countless people as to what was going on within their school district. But even so, why are you letting your child hang out with friends who are apparently gender confused um why are you you know why are you still sending this child to school when this alleged confusion is being indoctrinated into their brain so it baffles the mind but again um yeah weak parents make hard times no doubt about it and uh yeah so again here's one example and again she's telling her story as a as a cautionary tale of what can happen, so give this a listen, and I'll jump in on the back side of this and make a few comments. This also comes from True News, I might add, so I want to toss that in there as well, because they also are on Gab, and uh, if you're on Gab, give them a follow too. It's a fantastic news outlet, and again, a lot of Christian-based truth on there, to say the least, but uh, this, one is, this one is interesting. 
Good afternoon. I'd like to thank John with the Florida Family Policy Council for having me today. I'm here to tell you how gender ideology almost destroyed my family. I am a stay-at-home mom to three amazing children. We're very close with our children, and I spend most of my days volunteering at their schools like most typical stay-at-home moms, taking them back and forth to theater, practice, swim, etc. It's no revelation that COVID lockdowns caused a rapid decline in the mental health of our teens and our, our children. Our 13-year-old daughter was no exception. She became socially withdrawn, more anxious, and depressed. Leading up to COVID, she had a friend group that was obsessed with anything to do with LGBTQ letters. Three of the children had come out as non-binary or transgender within three months' time. So when our daughter told us she was experiencing distress about her gender at the height of the pandemic, we were completely caught by surprise. She had expressed no signs of gender confusion or distress in early childhood or leading up into this announcement. So we were trying our best to navigate these uncharted waters and support her in the best way we could and help her through her feelings. We found a counselor and started our own research which led us to gender ideology. School started in September, 2020, and I reached out to a teacher and told her the struggles our families had been dealing with. We let her know that we were not affirming our daughter's preferred name and pronouns at home, that we did not feel like this was in her best interest, that she was receiving mental health counseling to help her process what she was going through, I also told the teacher that I felt it was directly related to her friend group, that my daughter has ADHD, which puts her emotionally immature and behind her peers, and that while we weren't affirming her name at home, I didn't feel like we could stop her from adopting a nickname at school. I now know better. It turns out the teacher I shared my heart with was the LGBTQ advocate on campus. I didn't hear anything again from my daughter until a couple of weeks later when she got into the car and bubbly told me she had met with three school officials to change her name and how funny because they asked her which restroom she preferred to use. I was shocked. I immediately called the school and was called back by both the guidance counselor and the vice principal. And they told me they could not disclose what occurred at the meeting with my child. I was volunteer of the year at this school. They knew who I was. I was not a, a stranger. I ran their coffee room. I knew all of the teachers. I was there up there every week. They proceeded to tell me my daughter had to give consent by law for me and my husband to be notified and present at the meeting. My 13-year-old daughter who can't vote, drink, or enter in any other legal contract without our permission or input. After several weeks of back and forth with the district, finally we were able to meet with the principal and we were finally shown the transgender, gender non-conforming student support plan that was created and signed by my daughter. This was a six page document that she completed with the vice principal, the guidance counselor and a social worker I had never met. 
They gave her the sole authority to decide if I could be notified of the meeting or attend. They allowed her to change her name and pronouns, restroom preference, and even choose if she chose to room with males or females on overnight school field trips. The plan also stated to use her birth name when speaking to us in effect to deceive us of the social transition that had occurred. My husband and asked to see, we asked to see legal justifications for the complete disregard of our parental authority. And we were finally given a copy of the Leon County Schools lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, gender non-conforming and questioning support guide. In this very long guide were three key points. Number one, parents are not to be informed when their children announce a transgender identity with school personnel. Number two, children are allowed to choose the restroom that matches their gender identity without parent notification. Number three, children have a legally protected right to keep from their parents information regarding their gender identity and steps taken by the district to affirm that identity. Perhaps the most shocking was under a Q&A, and I will read. Question, a student has exhibited behavior in school leading administrators or teachers to believe the student is LGBTQ+. Should the parents or legal guardians be notified? Answer, no. Outing a student, especially to parents, can be very dangerous to the student's health and well-being. As many as 40% of homeless youth are LGBTQ+, many of whom have been rejected by their families for being LGBTQ. Outing students to their parents can literally make them homeless. Folks, this is a lie that is driving a very dangerous wedge between children and their parents. These guidelines also send the message to the child that parents are the enemy and that children need to be protected from their parents instead of by their parents. That their input and authority are no longer important. This created a huge conflict with our daughter and us. We were the only people in her lives not affirming this new shiny glittery identity that we thought would ultimately lead to her self-harm. Social transition is a complex psychosocial intervention that should always involve parents as it requires clinical supervision. Further, schools are grossly unqualified to be making these decisions. We know this because social transition is the first step toward medical transition that can include experimental medications and hormones and sometimes surgeries that often cause long-term irreversible damage, such as sterility and sexual dysfunction to the child that is irreversible. Fundamentally, children and teens cannot consent to these interventions because they do not have the maturity or capacity to understand the long-term consequences of these choices. What my husband and I learned after months and months of research is the following. There has been a sharp increase in teen girls suddenly becoming distressed about their gender and coming out as transgender. If you're unfamiliar with the work of Dr. Lisa Littman or Abigail Schreier, please look into their work. They have pioneered research in this area and un uncovered what Dr. Littman coins as rapid onset gender dysphoria. And this phenomenon has become a social contagion among teen girls 
and now we are seeing teen boys as well. Many of these girls have co-occurring mental health issues, such as anxiety, ADHD, previous trauma, depression, and up to 40% are autistic. When parents are excluded, these issues often go unchecked and unresolved, putting the child at further risk of psychological and physical harm. As with a lot of issues in our culture today, this has become extremely politicized. But I'm here to tell you, this issue impacts all types of families of every race, atheist, religions, everyone. This was also not an isolated incident in Leon County. I wish it had been. This is happening all over our state. I could list 12 counties in the state of Florida that have the same exact guidance, same wording, everything on their website today. This is also happening all over our country. Some would even say that the schools are ground zero for spreading this indoctrination and social contagion. So here's my call to action for all of you. Get comfortable having these conversations. Get comfortable saying the word transgender. Do your research and be informed. Understand all treatment options available. Talk with your children, your neighbors, your church, your school administration. It is not transphobic to ask questions. It is not transphobic to do research and be informed. And it is certainly not transphobic to want to protect your child from an ideology that can have long-term devastating outcomes for your child and your family. As parents, we have opinion about anything and everything that can impact our child's mental health and physical well-being. This issue of transgender ideology is no different. You're allowed to have an opinion about this. Because if you wait until transgender ideology comes to your home, it's too late. It's too late to have these opinions. It's too late to have these conversations. The schools are continuing to align their policies with activist organization positions instead of the U.S. Constitution and the Florida Parent Bill of Rights, and this must stop. We must hold the schools accountable when they violate parental rights, and I truly believe that courage begets courage. Our lawsuit against the Leon County School Board is ultimately about protecting the rights of parents to raise their child without the interference of government officials. Parents know their children better than anyone else. It is my job to protect my child, and the school took that away from me. The time to take back our parental authority in schools on every issue is now. Thank you. Okay, first of all, I, uh, I'm going to be a little harsh here, I think, or perhaps not. Maybe it's just um, completely appropriate here. She's, she's got an awful lot of gall, I think, to, to, to be providing advice, parental advice for other people. Um, look, terrible situation, but the fault lies with the parent. End of story. The fault lies with the parent. You could hear it in her, again, in her word usage, how she views the school. I gave my child to the school and they 
you know, gave me back this thing. The fact is, is that's your responsibility as a parent. She was a home, I mean, homeschooling. She was a, uh, a homemaker. She was a homemaker, volunteering and doing this and doing that. No formal job, but a homemaker. That's a big enough job in itself, but she could have easily homeschooled her children. In particular, this child, the moment, the very second that such a thing occurred with, with their child. Um, yes, the school is at fault, no doubt about it. But if you keep sending your child to that sick, poisonous environment, and you keep getting back something that is sick and poisoned, that's your fault too, because you are the one who is the parent. You have the ultimate responsibility of protecting your child. Yes, the school has laws they have to follow and regulations they have to follow, educator misconduct rules and regulations, you name it. But at the end of the day, the, the ultimate health and well-being of the child rests with the parent. And again, you can just hear it in her voice, the uncertainty of this, the uncertainty of that. I can't believe that they would do this to my child. I can't believe it. You know, and again, just kind of the, uh, I don't know, again, just the overall lack of awareness regarding her own position and influence in that entire situation, both as a parent and as a homemaker with the time to homeschool their child. I know lots of parents who would kill someone to have the ability to be a homemaker so that they could homeschool their children and keep them out of said environments. Those parents exist. Those adults exist. They're out there. And my heart breaks for their perceived inability to, uh, to, to, to not you know, be able to homeschool their child. But I've said it, if I've said it once, I've said it a million times. If your child can read, your child can teach themselves. And if you teach the child responsible adult behavior, that's the kind of person that you will be raising is an adult. That's why I don't like the phrase, we're raising children. We're raising a child. You should be raising an adult. You should be raising a young person, regardless of age, to behave and act like an adult. And if they can't do that and behave and act like an adult in a school environment, then you yank them out. It's almost cost their child their life, certainly their frame of mind. I mean, my God. Typical Marxist tactic. Create division and a wedge between the child and the parent. Do that as often as you possibly can, and government will own the child for life. Because again, it's just, the, the Marxist tactic is a satanic one. It is designed to break the natural God-given mind of the child in the interest of creating a slave for the state. And if the child dies as a result of becoming a slave of the state, well, it's no skin off their back. It's water under the bridge, next child to indoctrinate. That's the approach that they tend to take. That's the approach that these schools tend to take. And yeah, I mean, it's possible that lawsuit is certainly going to work. Uh, pain and suffering, medical damage, psychological damage, abso-flippin'-lutely. Absolutely. So, again, I, you know, I don't know. It's, it, it, it just, it, it, uh, when I first heard that, it, 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 I can't even get the words out of my mouth. It was too close to 
It sounded too close to reading the posts from nomaskforkids.com. I can't believe my child has to wear these masks. I can't believe my child has bacterial pneumonia and staph infection all over their face. I can't believe we have to go back to the doctor again because um, they have gingivitis and their gums are bleeding from the mask wearing. I can't believe, I can't believe, I can't believe. You'd better believe because you're the one putting the mask on their face. You'd better believe the psychological damage because you're the one as the parent allowing it to occur. You see, that's the issue. But again, if if adult conversations aren't happening in, in the home on the most honest level with these children, then these children are more prone to breaking. Whether it be, again, LGBTQ stuff, the mask wearing stuff, you, you can pick your poison. It's all in the exact same vein. But if, if adult conversations aren't happening, again, during this particular time, during this time of war, of a world war, that will hopefully be the last war of all wars. If, if, if that's not being explained to children, again, regardless of their age, sit them down and have an adult conversation with them. Look, we know that this is happening. We don't like it. We wish it was better right now. It's this way. You know, we're going to try to do the best that we can. And e I mean, hell, you know, allow the child to even in that situation, in that adult conversation, provide their two cents. Allow them to say, hey, look, I can homeschool myself. I can read. I can write. I know how to look things up on the internet with accuracy, with rigor and uh, consistency. I know, I know exactly how to do that. And again, the parents have a responsibility to show that to their, to their children. That's part of it. But consistently sending them back to the environment that this parent was just describing Again, she knew that it was going to lead to something worse because she said it. She said, well, it can lead to self-harm, it can lead to suicide, it can lead to drug addiction, more confusion, X, Y, Z, so on and so forth. She's 100% right. I bet she didn't know that before she started to look it up, before she actually had some kind of a psych evaluation of their own child. So, yeah, know the administrators, know the teachers, know the curriculum, know what's going on in these buildings, and for the love of God, know the friends of your children and know their parents. If they're goofy, keep them away. It's pretty simple. And again, heaven forbid the parent just take that kid's iPad and break it, or take the computer and not give it back. Or cut them off from their, you know, quote unquote chat group where all they were talking about was LGBTQ plus nonsense. Take it away. Take it away permanently. Show them things online that prove your point and prove your your um your healthy state of mind for for wanting a healthy state of mind for their own child, you know, for, for their child. Show them that the proof exists out there that it, that particular things are unhealthy. Children can children can handle it. Children are inquisitive. They love the truth. They love it. If that child of that parent had any idea that the gender dysphoria thing is a is a purposeful distraction and a purposeful psychological operation designed to break the mind of a child, they would probably give it up in a heartbeat. They'd probably say, well, I didn't know it was that serious. I didn't know it was that bad. Um, I'm going to go back to being my own sex and who I actually am. Okay, next subject. And then they move on. Not saying it's that easy all the time, 
But again, this is what happens when we tiptoe around very serious issues. We don't tell the truth all of the time, and we don't get down to brass tacks. You delay the inevitable, which is the snapping of the American mind and the youthful American mind. And that's too bad, but it's got to stop. And parents have the ultimate responsibility in making that stop. Okay. With all of that said, I'll catch you on Wednesday and I'll link it. It's the video for the doc, uh, Dr. Mikovits video that I played here at the beginning. That's going to be a Telegram link, but you can, again, Telegram is on a basic web browser. It's on the internet, so you can certainly watch that video uh, via Telegram, whether you have Telegram or not. Other than that, again, catch you on Wednesday. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.